<laughs> okay, go. Hey everyone, it's Millie. It's Gabby. And welcome back to another week of Change by Degrees. And we have a different episode. I feel like I said that every time. I'm starting to hate myself. We really kind of, the content we do now is, about every variety. week is different. Yeah, it's different. We have a There's no consistency, but I, I, I kind of like that. <laughs> it, it, is, it is nice. And before we get into it, well, Gabby has something to share. Yeah. Do you want me to share my thing first? I don't care. Which okay, order. well, basically it's that I'm even more ready than you are for your deck situation. Yeah. I have two chairs now. All right, and you don't even need an umbrella. I didn't notice Where that Where am I now. supposed to put an umbrella? It's okay. Okay, it's okay. My, let's, my let's deck. Calm down. Let's calm down. I actually know the basically, size of my deck because I bought the rug. I know. And it was $60. Yeah, dude, I didn't think it was going to be that much. I kind of hate myself, but then I'm it's not Okay, I bought back. a rug that was like twice that right now. Um, this morning. That's, that's my announcement. Insanity. But our, our deck is huge. Mine's five by seven. And yeah, I was no. like, you don't have an umbrella. Okay, mine's where like the eight by ten. am I supposed to put? <clears throat> no, oh. but you don't need it because you got shade. But I, I hate yeah. my, my announcement is that now I've bought, if it's yet to arrive, but I bought an umbrella that's mm. huge. I showed Gabby. Mm-hmm. She can attest to that. Um, a whole like little, what you call that outdoor couch setup? Not couch, but like. It's cushions wicker, on it? Oh, like wicker, wicker with like a cushion? With a cushion yeah. thing. I got that going on. And then I got a rug to put it on top of that I ordered cool. today. So like I'm set up for the summer. I'm set up. It's I, like I sat outside last today. night and tan, dude. I got tan lines for sitting Did outside you? for two hours. Yes. I love that Because in the evening, the sun is like directly to... on me. Oh, really? So I, I sat outside in, in red and um, I was wearing a tank top and I have spaghetti strap lines on my... I'm screaming. On my shoulders now. And I was like... nice. Oh, <laughs> that's all you're going to get for a vacation so far. Uh, I'm going somewhere right else. I don't know, I know what I know everybody else is doing, but I'm going to go drive myself somewhere. It's okay. You're going to get your first uh, vaccine today. That's that's what's motivating me. me. I'm like, let me get this shot so, so I can, I live, can life. live my like life and like have a summer. That's where I'm at. You're going to make it work out. So yeah. we're both set up with our decks. As much as I can be. I need and a little like table. that's the highlight right now of my day, my week, my life. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my announcement. Gabby had a much oh, more yes. important one. I had. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just mm-hmm. like. I finished watching Justice League. <laughs> Only took me. Um, <laughs> a hot second. It took me a month. <laughs> Literally. It took me like about three and a half weeks to finish it. Because I watched in like 10 minute increments. Because I just like didn't care that much. And I just want to see Henry. But Henry wasn't even in the movie for the first two hours. So I was like. Uh, uh, uh. But you then really I, had to I knew if I like that. had scoop, scooped. Skipped ahead. <laughs> If I'd scooped ahead, I would have like missed a scene with him in there or something. Like that. So I was just like really biding my time, mm. and I would like sit on my phone and like half-heartedly watch it. And then if Henry showed up or there was a mention of Superman, I was like, ah. But um, but yeah. Um, okay. So it was good. Um, the scenes with Henry were good. Okay. Um, that's really all I cared about. Okay. And I was pleased with it. The other scenes, I don't, I don't know. They were fine. The soundtrack was all over the place. I didn't really know what was happening. That's all I have to say. So, but better than Wandavision. Oh, 100%. Henry's not okay. in WandaVision. I know that. So Okay. Also, so it's not the only, DC. That's the only, that's Marvel, like, so. it doesn't matter. It so does matter. Only, it matters a lot. That's the only, like, way you're judging. I can't really give okay. a good, um, non-biased, um, all-around review of the movie because I half-watched it. And you didn't pay I attention. I watched the whole thing. I just, did I pay attention to it is the, that's the key right there. And here's the thing. You're not going to get one from me either. So if yeah. y'all are expecting that... Please don't be. Um, we're not that type of podcast, but we are the type of podcast that uh, reads scary bedtime stories for the first time ever. Yeah, um, we're gonna see how this goes. <laughs> Here's the thing: I'm really scared. We both have to remember to just slow down when we read yes. because I trip up on my words when I'm just trying to say my own thoughts. I just read fast, and Gabby just reads like 
so fast. I just need to slow down. So I, both of us, and this is so wordy. So it's, it's basically wordy. a short story and it's going to be split up in two parts. This is part one that you're listening to now. And we're going to have a hopefully natural breaking point as best as we can for a short story. And then the next episode, we'll finish the short story and discuss. Yeah, we've never read this before. And hopefully... So hopefully it's good. The mo- the- <laughs> hopefully it's good and hopefully we can read well enough to not make it so confusing but i do think this is a good practice for everyone involved because one of our later episodes gonna be something kind of like this but not really yeah but we don't need practice what do you mean practice listening yes yeah oh about the whole experience but anyway Gabby will open. I will. What is the story called? This I'm is... going to try like lower my energy, not the typical like dialogue energy I have, but like yeah. reading energy. Because this is like um, a spooky moment. So. Spooky moment. Yes. Scary. This is The Empty House by Algernon Blackwood. And I actually have read. Thank I've God read... you said that name. I would have butchered that first name. What did you think it was? Algernon or something? Algernon. 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 That's really. Blackwood. Shh. Um, old timey time, a little bit. Low moment. Oh, is it? He was a, well, he was a writer back in the. Like, I think he died in the 1950s, maybe. So early 20th century. But um, I've read one other story by him when I was in college and I enjoyed it. I think I read The Willows or something. So yeah, when I was looking for what story to do, I saw this one and I was like, I know that name. Um, and it's not a name you typically see. Like how many people know Algernon Blackwood? Unless you're like not a me. literature person. Yeah, probably nobody. Um, and like I said, I've only read one other thing by him. So I was like, well, we'll give this one a shot. And um, hopefully... <laughs> It goes well. Like I said, never read <laughs> this, this. This might be the most edited podcast we have um, um, to date, so it's I okay. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll just start. I'll say the title and the author and be all professional, like an audio book. Oh, okay, 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 good, good, good. I gotta get my spit in order, though, to do this, because it's wordy beginning. It's a very wordy beginning. Okay. I, I, I fully believe in you right now. I'm going to try with, it's, the first sentence is like five lines, so we're going to see <laughs> how this, how this goes. Okay. The Empty House by Algernon Blackwood. Certain houses, like certain persons, manage somehow to proclaim at once their character for evil. In the case of the latter, no particular feature need betray them. They may boast an open countenance and an ingenuous smile, and yet a little of their company leaves the unalterable conviction that there is something radically amiss with their being, that they are evil. Willy-nilly, they seem to communicate an atmosphere of secret and wicked thoughts, which makes those in their immediate neighborhood shrink from them as from a thing diseased. And perhaps with houses, the same principle is operative, and it is the aroma of evil deeds committed under a particular roof long after the actual doers have passed away that makes the goose flesh come and the hair rise. Something of the original possession of the evil doer and of the horror felt by his victim enters the heart of the innocent watcher, and he becomes suddenly conscious of tingling nerves, creeping skin, and a chilling of the blood. He is terror-stricken without apparent cause. There was manifestly nothing in the external appearance of this particular house to bear out the tales of the horror that was said to reign within. It was neither lonely nor unkempt. It stood, crowded into a corner of the square, and looked exactly like the houses on either side of it. It had the same number of windows as its neighbors, the same balcony overlooking the gardens, the same white steps leading up to the heavy black front door. And in the rear, there was the same narrow strip of green with neat box borders running up to the wall that divided it from the backs of the adjoining houses. Apparently too, the number of chimney pots on the roof was the same, the breadth and angle of the eaves and even the height of the dirty area railings. 
And yet, this house in the square that seemed precisely similar to its 50 ugly neighbors was as a matter of fact entirely different, horribly different. Wherein lay this marked invisible difference is impossible to say. It cannot be ascribed wholly to the imagination because persons who had spent some time in the house, knowing nothing of the facts, had declared positively that certain rooms were so disagreeable they would rather die than enter them again, and that the atmosphere of the whole house produced in them symptoms of a genuine terror, while the series of innocent tenants who had tried to live in it and been forced to decamp at the shortest possible notice was indeed little less than a scandal in the town. When Shorthouse arrived to pay a weekend visit to his Aunt Julia, in her little house on the seafront at the other end of the town, he found her charged to the brim with mystery and excitement. He had only received her telegram that morning, and he had come anticipating boredom. But the moment he touched her hand and kissed her apple-skin wrinkled cheek, he caught the first wave of her electrical condition. The impression deepened when he learned that there were to be no other visitors, and that he had been telegraphed for with a very special object. Something was in the wind, and the something would doubtless bear fruit, for this elderly spinster aunt with a mania for psychical research had brains as well as willpower, and by hook or by crook she usually managed to accomplish her ends. The revelation was made soon after tea, when she sidled close up to him as they paced slowly along the seafront in the dusk. I've got the keys, she announced in a delighted yet half-awesome voice. Got them till Monday. The keys of the bathing machine, or... He asked innocently, looking from the sea to the town. Nothing brought her so quickly to the point as feigned stupidity. Neither, she whispered. I've got the keys of the haunted house in the square, and I'm going there tonight. Shorthouse was conscious of the slightest possible tremor down his back. He dropped his teasing tone. Something in her voice and manner thrilled him. She wasn't earnest. But you can't go alone, he began. That's why I wired for you, she said with decision. He turned to look at her. The ugly, lined, enigmatical face was alive with excitement. There was the glow of genuine enthusiasm round it like a halo. The eyes shone. He caught another wave of her excitement, and a second tremor, more marked than the first, accompanied it. Thanks, Aunt Julia, he said politely. Thanks awfully. I should not dare to go quite alone, she went on raising her voice, but with you, I should enjoy it immensely. You're afraid of nothing, I know. Thanks so much, he said again. Er, is anything likely to happen? A great deal has happened, she whispered, though it's been most cleverly hushed up. Three tenants have come and gone in the last few months, and the house is said to be empty for good now. In spite of himself, Shorthouse became interested. His aunt was so very much in earnest. The house is very old indeed, she went on, and the story, an unpleasant one, dates a long way back. It has to do with a murder committed by a jealous stableman who had some affair with a servant in the house. One night, he managed to secrete himself in the cellar, and when everyone was asleep, he crept upstairs to the servant's quarters, and before anyone could come to the rescue, threw her bodily over the banisters into the hall below. And the stableman? Was caught, I believe, and hanged for murder, but it all happened a century ago, and I've not been able to get more details of the story. Shorthouse now felt his interest thoroughly aroused, but though he was not particularly nervous for himself, he hesitated a little on his aunt's account. On one condition, he said at length. Nothing will prevent my going, she said firmly, but I may as well hear your condition. 
that you guarantee your power of self-control if anything really horrible happens. I mean, that you are sure you won't get too frightened. Jim, she said scornfully, I'm not young, I know, nor are my nerves, but with you I should be afraid of nothing in the world. This, of course, settled it, for Shorthouse had no pretensions to being other than a very ordinary young man, and an appeal to his vanity was irresistible. He agreed to go. Instinctively, by a sort of subconscious preparation, he kept himself and his forces well in hand the whole evening, compelling an accumulative reserve of control by that nameless inward process of gradually putting all the emotions away and turning the key upon them. A process difficult to describe, but wonderfully effective, as all men who have lived through severe trials of the inner man well understand. Later, it stood him in good stead. But it was not until half past ten, when they stood in the hall, well in the glare of friendly lamps and still surrounded by comforting human influences, that he had to make the first call upon this store of collected strength. For, once the door was closed, he saw the deserted silent street stretching away, white in the moonlight before them. It came to him clearly that the real test that night would be in dealing with two fears instead of one. He would have to carry his aunt's fear as well as his own. And, as he glanced down at her sphinx-like countenance and realized that it might assume no pleasant aspect in a rush of real terror, he felt satisfied with only one thing in the whole adventure. That he had confidence in his own will and power to stand against any shock that might come. Slowly, they walked along the empty streets of the town. A bright autumn moon silvered the roofs, casting deep shadows. There was no breath of wind, and the trees in the formal gardens by the seafront watched them silently as they passed along. To his aunt's occasional remarks, Shorthouse made no reply, realizing that she was simply surrounding herself with mental buffers, saying ordinary things to prevent herself thinking of extraordinary things. Few windows showed lights, and from scarcely a single chimney came smoke or sparks. Shorthouse had already begun to notice everything, even the smallest details. Presently, they stopped at the street corner and looked up at the name on the side of the house, full in the moonlight, and with one accord, but without remark, turned into the square and crossed over to the side of it that lay in shadow. The number of the house is 13, whispered a voice at his side and neither of them made the obvious reference, but passed across the broad sheet of moonlight and began to march up the pavement in silence. It was about halfway up the square that Shorthouse felt an arm slipped quietly but significantly into his own, and knew then that their adventure had begun in earnest, and that his companion was already yielding imperceptibly to the influences against them. She needed support. A few minutes later, they stopped before a tall, narrow house that rose before them into the night, ugly in shape and painted a dingy white. Shutterless windows without blinds stared down upon them, shining here and there in the moonlight. There were weather streaks in the wall and cracks in the paint, and the balcony bulged out from the first floor a little unnaturally. But. Beyond this generally forlorn appearance of an unoccupied house, there was nothing at first sight to single out this particular mansion for the evil character it had most certainly acquired. Taking a look over their shoulders to make sure they had not been followed, they went boldly up the steps and stood against the huge black door that fronted them forbiddingly. But the first wave of nervousness was now upon them, and Shorthouse fumbled a long time with the key before he could fit it into the lock at all. 
For a moment, if truth were told, they both hoped it would not open, for they were a prey to various unpleasant emotions as they stood there on the threshold of their ghostly adventure. Shorthouse, shuffling with the key and hampered by the steady weight on his arm, certainly felt the solemnity of the moment. It was as if the whole world, for all experience seemed at that instant concentrated in his own consciousness, were listening to the grating noise of that key. A stray puff of wind wandering down the empty street woke a momentary rustling in the trees behind them. But otherwise, this rattling of the key was the only sound audible, and at last it turned in the lock and the heavy door swung open and revealed a yawning gulf of darkness beyond. With a last glance at the moonlit square, they passed quickly in and the door slammed behind them with a roar that echoed prodigiously through empty halls and passages. But instantly, with the echoes, another sound made itself heard, and Aunt Julia leaned suddenly so heavily upon him that he had to take a step backwards to save himself from falling. A man had coughed close beside them, so close that it seemed they must have been actually by his side in the darkness. With the possibility of practical jokes in his mind, Shorthouse at once swung his heavy stick in the direction of the sound, but it meant nothing more solid than air. He heard his aunt give a little gasp beside him, there's someone here, she whispered. I heard him. Be quiet, he said sternly. It was nothing but the noise of the front door. Oh, get a light, quick, she added, as her nephew, fumbling with a box of matches, opened it upside down and let them all fall with a rattle onto the stone floor. The sound, however, was not repeated, and there was no evidence of retreating footsteps. In another minute, they had a candle burning, using an empty end of a cigar case as a holder and when the first flare had died down, he held the impromptu lamp aloft and surveyed the scene. And it was dreary enough in all conscience, for there is nothing more desolate in all the abodes of men than an unfurnished house, dimly lit, silent and forsaken, and yet tenanted by rumor with the memories of evil and violent histories. They were standing in a wide hallway. On their left was the open door of a spacious dining room, and in front the hall ran, ever narrowing, into a long, dark passage that led apparently to the top of the kitchen stairs. The broad, uncarpeted staircase rose in a sweep before them, everywhere draped in shadows, except for a single spot about halfway up where the moonlight came in through the window and fell on a bright patch on the boards. This shaft of light shed a fade faint radiance above and below it, lending to the objects within its reach a misty outline that was infinitely more suggestive and ghostly than complete darkness. Filtered moonlight always seems to paint faces on the surrounding gloom, and as Shorthouse peered up into the well of darkness and thought of the countless empty rooms and passages in the upper part of the old house, he caught himself longing again for the safety of the moonlit square, or the cozy, bright drawing room they had left an hour before. Then realizing that these thoughts were dangerous, he thrust them away again and summoned all his energy for concentration on the present. Aunt Julia, he said aloud, severely, we must now go through the house from top to bottom and make a thorough search. The echoes of his voice died away slowly all over the building, and in the intense silence that followed, he turned to look at her. In the candlelight, he saw that her face was already ghastly pale, but she dropped his arm for a moment and said in a whisper, stepping close in front of him, I agree, we must be sure there's no one hiding. That's the first thing. She spoke with evident effort, and he looked at her with admiration. You feel quite sure of yourself. It's not too late. I think so, she whispered, her eyes shifting nervously towards the shadows behind. Quite sure. 
only one thing. What's that? You must never leave me alone for an instant. As long as you understand that any sound or appearance must be investigated at once, for to hesitate means to admit fear. That is fatal. Agreed, she said, a little shakily, after a moment's hesitation. I'll try. Arm in arm, Shorthouse holding the dripping candle and the stick, while his aunt carried the cloak over her shoulders, figures of utter comedy to all but themselves, they began a systematic search. Stealthily, walking on tiptoe and shading the candle lest it should betray their presence through the shutterless windows, they went first into the big dining room. There was not a stick of furniture to be seen. Bare walls, ugly mantelpieces, and empty grates stared at them. Everything, they felt, resented their intrusion, watching them, as it were, with veiled eyes. Whispers followed them. Shadows flitted noiselessly to right and left. Something seemed ever at their back, watching, waiting an opportunity to do them injury. There was the inevitable sense that operations which went on when the room was empty had been temporarily suspended till they were well out of the way again. The whole dark interior of the old building seemed to become a malignant presence that rose up, warning them to desist and mind their own business. Every moment, the strain on the nerves increased. Out of the gloomy dining room, they passed through large folding doors into a sort of library or smoking room, wrapped equally in silence, darkness, and dust. And from this, they regained the hall near the top of the back stairs. Here, a pitch black tunnel opened before them into the lower regions, and it must be confessed, they hesitated, but only for a minute. With the worst of the night still to come, it was essential to turn from nothing. Aunt Julia stumbled at the top step of the dark descent, ill lit by the flickering candle, and even Shorthouse felt at least half the decision go out of his legs. Come on, he said pretemporarily, and his voice ran on and lost itself in the dark, empty spaces below. I'm coming, she faltered, catching his arm with unnecessary violence. They went a little unsteadily down the stone steps, a cold, damp air meeting them in the face, close and malodorous. The kitchen, into which the stairs led along a narrow passage, was large, with a lofty ceiling. Several doors opened out of it, some into cupboards with empty jars still standing on the shelves, and others into horrible little ghostly back offices, each colder and less inviting than the last. Black beetles scurried over the floor, and once, when they knocked against a deal table standing in a corner, something about the size of a cat jumped down with a rush and fled, scampering across the stone floor into the darkness. Everywhere, there was a sense of recent occupation, an impression of sadness and gloom. Leaving the main kitchen, they next went towards the scullery. The door was standing ajar, and as they pushed it open to its full extent, Aunt Julia uttered a piercing scream, which she instantly tried to stifle by placing her hand over her mouth. For a second, Shorthouse stood stock still, catching his breath. He felt as if his spine had suddenly become hollow and someone had filled it with particles of ice. Facing them, directly in their way, between the doorposts, stood the figure of a woman. She had disheveled hair and wildly staring eyes, and her face was terrified and white as death. She stood there motionless for the space of a single second. Then the candle flickered as she was gone, gone utterly, and the door framed nothing but empty darkness. Only the beastly jumping candlelight, he said quickly, in a voice that sounded like someone else's and was only half under control. Come on, aunt, there's nothing there. He dragged her forward. With a clattering of feet and a great appearance of boldness, they went on, but over his body the skin moved as if crawling ants covered it, and he knew by the weight on his arm that he was supplying the force of a locomotion for two. 
The scullery was cold, bare, and empty, more like a large prison cell than anything else. They went round it, tried the door into the yard, and the windows, but found them all fastened securely. His aunt moved beside him, like a person in a dream. Her eyes were tightly shut, and she seemed merely to follow the pressure of his arm. Her courage filled him with amazement. At the same time, he noticed that a certain odd change had come over her face. A change which somehow evaded his power of analysis. There's nothing here, auntie. He repeated aloud quickly. Let's go upstairs and see the rest of the house. Then we'll choose a room to wait up in. She followed him obediently, keeping close to his side, and they locked the kitchen door behind them. It was a relief to get up again. In the hall, there was more light than before, for the moon had traveled a little further down the stairs. Cautiously, they began to go up into the dark vault of the upper house, the boards creaking under their weight. On the first floor, they found the large double drawing rooms, a search of which revealed nothing. Here also was no sign of furniture or recent occupancy, nothing but dust and neglect and shadows. They opened the big folding doors between front and back drawing rooms and then came out again to the landing and went on upstairs. They had not gone up more than a dozen steps when they both simultaneously stopped to listen, looking into each other's eyes with a new apprehension across the flickering candle flame. From the room they had left hardly 10 seconds before came the sound of doors quietly closing. It was beyond all question. They heard the booming noise that accompanies the shutting of heavy doors, followed by the sharp catching of the latch. We must go back and see, said Shorthouse briefly in a low tone and turning to go downstairs again. Somehow she managed to drag after him, her feet catching in her dress, her face livid. When they entered the front drawing room, it was plain that the folding doors had been closed half a minute before. Without hesitation, Shorthouse opened them. He almost expected to see someone facing him in the back room, but only darkness and cold air met him. They went through both rooms, finding nothing unusual. They tried in every way to make the doors close of themselves, but there was not wind enough even to set the candle flame flickering. The doors would not move without strong pressure. All was silent as the grave. Undeniably, the rooms were utterly empty and the house utterly still. And that's where we're going to end for this episode. Left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Gabby really kept reading. So I did. Cut that out. Okay. And also, we can't read. So I can that read. episode was the most I can heavily read. You, edited thing you've you ever read. read. Maybe I'll keep a few mistakes, but I really, it, it should be Don't leave mistakes seamless. because then the tension can't build. It's true. It's true. You're right. You're right. Um, I'm into the story. It's just like. I said a few minutes ago, I was like, I like the story. Millie was like, no, you don't. And I was like, okay, well, I guess, okay. <laughs> I mean, I like it. It's just like painful for us, but we do it for you guys. So I'm not sure how long that was, but I think that's a good stopping point. Hopefully you're on the edge of your seats. I am. And uh, next week you can catch the end and a little discussion on what we think about this story. I already have thoughts. She, she does. So we'll unpack all of that in the next episode this is a little bit different uh, but i like it watch us like have more episodes like this in the next season but it's just so much like so much work you think that an hour and a half episode is like harder to do but no this is like the most hard thing we ever had to do because you so. don't edit any of our I don't. episodes but this one you're gonna have to you're gonna have to edit this one so but that's okay uh, do it for the pod um maybe i'll add some spooky music in the back don't make it really really kill him kill him um cool. we hope you are liking the story and if you want to hear the second part just catch us next week yeah don't read ahead because you will never find it online anyway 
Just kidding, you will. But don't um, read. Don't don't read ahead. I, I believe you for half a second. And then <laughs> where I do you think I, I found it? I don't know. Online. Okay. Well, you. I don't know where you find. Maybe it was from like a college class. I literally googled it. Okay. I said the empty don't house. Tell, don't tell the oh, people you're right. Your don't tell don't, them how to find don't. it. Okay. okay. All right. Well, that's all we got. Um, and stuff. So yeah, don't read ahead. Make sure to tune in next week for the second half in some very educational and studious discussion okay. um, and analysis. Yeah, not really. We're just gonna say okay. if we liked it or not. Um, and that's all we got. So bye. No, no, no. What? Follow us. Follow on us on, on Instagram at change, underscore change by degrees. They know the drill by now. They, they know you're right. You're yeah. Right. So we'll just see you next week. Yeah. So now bye. That's my spooky. That was good. Music. I think you should say goodbye now to the people. I said bye. Oh, bye. okay. Bye.